0: over time, but no one's looking at the clock, are they? (laughs) I hope. (laughs) Amen, but uh, it's been a wonderful time in the Lord and it's going to continue as we go into the Word of God this morning because I'm excited uh, to preach what I'm going to share with you this morning and uh, it'll tie in uh, with the whole theme of the day and so something that the lord had put upon my heart a couple of weeks ago so but up my text actually will be the same text that i preached from two weeks ago no but i are chapter one and verse 17. now i do want to lay a foundation further or again or continue as we consider the particular text because obviously you may be aware that two weeks ago I preached from the same text. And in it I gave a pretty lengthy, uh, to a degree, a detailed account and shared with uh, the assembly a bit of my personal journey as the Lord had brought me over the course of years and uh, how some of these things came to be in my own life according to the will and purposes of God. And I made emphasis, you may recall, of Psalm 25, And um, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and uh, to them he will show them his covenant. And so, so, that kind of formed the basis of some of the Lord's dealings with me or actually lots of the Lord's dealings with me over the last number of years. So, I kind of shared some of those aspects that that related to two weeks ago. But I want to today approach it from another angle and uh, And I also want to give you a little bit of a background how this came to be, and in doing so I'll also reflect and share with you a little bit more about my Christian life. but as we did go to Fiji and it was a blessing uh, to have shared that with the the Beavitch family and to have had the opportunity to preach and and just share the simple message of the gospel. I got to speak in a couple of different churches there and and ministered accordingly but I really have to say it was so refreshing. It was such a joy to be able to preach the Gospel. I mean, it's one thing to to pastor and teach the Word of God, but just to get back in that environment where you're just preaching Christ and the simplest message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I did that on a number of occasions and uh, believing that God would, because would, the gospel works and so knowing and trusting that God would, would work in the hearts of men and women. But my heart was stare, uh, stirred for various reasons and so, uh, again, I'm going to put some context to this because as you may be aware, I've been here now I think four and a half years and, and I've been sharing with the assembly uh, those things that the Lord has really been showing me over years and working in me over a period of time, and so. Uh, but that has pretty much been specifically related to the inward workings of God, okay? The internal aspects of the way in which the Spirit of God works in our hearts, and considering various, various aspects, uh, even to the recent uh, developing uh, messages that I preached on fullness of Christ. So it was inward. It was the inward workings of God inside the believer's heart, and so that was uh, that's what's been the focus in part of my ministry over the last number of years. But let me say this: that was not always the dominant feature. It was something that the Lord brought me to in His way, and he, as He chose to lead me, and as He taught me and opened my understanding to various things. But um, it was not always the case. For many years I was involved in a a fellowship for 20 years in which I was saved and served and uh, that that particular fellowship and its emphasis and its ministry did not focus uh, to any real extent at all actually on the inward workings of God in the heart And and, and, and that was a weakness. But one of its strengths, and which still remains with me to this day and is there is that they they made a huge emphasis, if you want to call it, on the external aspects of Christian living and that which related to uh, evangelism, that which related to discipleship, that which related to church planting. I was part of a a movement that was uh, very aggressive in this, in, with this mindset, having over a period of 40 years planted 2,000 churches in 100 nations. I mean, that was it. Was this was the driving vision and focus and force of the movement that I was a part of? So I would go to conferences uh, at, at once, twice, three times a year, and the whole theme would be centered around that. And the end of each conference, there would be churches planted. This was the whole emphasis of of what I was involved in. And what's also interesting is um, it also uh, what I also would do, the themes that they would, they would make up for these conferences, the themes would be like go into all the world and preach the gospel or there would be other themes like go, make disciples or there would be other themes like take the land See, we've, we've been using this phrase, take the land or there'd be another emphasis on spiritual conquest and they would quote Joshua chapter 1 verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot treads upon that I've given to you. But they would use it in the context of evangelism and preaching the gospel and going to all nations to preach Christ and so they would share it in that context and that's why I say the external Aspects. Not that it's uh, at all wrong, uh, it has its place obviously and, but it was for me it was being in Fiji and just being in part of that whole environment that, that rekindled, that stirred my heart because those things are still in me that were deposited in those years and uh, I believe that God in, in, uh, will cause to manifest in my ministry, in my life in years to come. And so, yes, there's that aspect of the inward and it's critical and it's important, but amen, we have a job to do. We have a gospel to preach. We have a, we have a mission that we call the Great Commission in which we are to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, it's in that context and it's in that thought that I'm going to consider our text in just a moment. But let's just be clear on a few things. When we consider the Old Testament, when we consider uh, the various um, stories of its history, when we consider the various prophecies of of the Old Testament, we understand that there are various applications that apply to various scriptures. For example, you may be familiar with this but I'm going to just demonstrate it as we continue on with this particular text in Obadiah. But we would all be familiar with uh, Hosea and chapter 11 verse 1 and if you're not familiar with Hosea, you'll be familiar with it in Matthew's Gospel but you'll be familiar with the scripture because the scripture is when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, we would read that and through the Old Testament prophet Hosea and we would say well obviously it's referring to the nation of Israel having been brought out of Egypt by God and being brought into the land and so here it is out of Egypt I called my son Israel being God's children, God's, God's chosen people and so surely we know that but yet we find that this is not the only um, uh, uh, place in which it refers to because Matthew uses the same phrase when he talks about Jesus and he gives us an account of Jesus' life and remember that Jesus, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary had to flee because of uh, Herod who was going to kill all the children and the massacre there that took place and so they were told to flee to Egypt and then after the change of circumstances they were instructed to go back uh, into Galilee and uh, as Matthew describes that he draws on Hosea under the inspiration of God and he quotes exactly the same scripture out of Egypt I called my son. So, there we find now it has an application to to the Israelites, it has an application to Christ. There's two valid applications but they're not the only applications. We know that when we talk about the principle of that scripture, it applies to the church, the New Testament church. We We have been called out of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. And now we are not in the world, amen? Uh, we're, we're not of the world, we're in it, but we're not of it because we are born again, we are in Christ. And out of Egypt I've called my son. And so, that applies to the church collectively and to you and I individually. So, there you have another ap- valid application of the, 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 of, of the scripture. We could go further. Uh, we could talk about the, um, the journey of Abraham. Abraham we know and uh, uh, God has promised the land of Canaan to him and um, Abraham for various reasons goes down to Egypt uh, and runs into some calamity there and, uh, and then he goes, the Bible says he goes back to Bethel and back to where he built the altar and so there's a whole spiritual application for that but he came out of Egypt and he came back into the land and so... Again, we can spiritualize some of these things because they have a spiritual truth and application to our lives. For example, the Bible talks about the rapture. And the rapture will one day come about, and literally, we will be taken out of this world. And we will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. We will come out of Egypt, so to speak. That's why Joseph uh, said, Carry my bones. Uh, out of Egypt, hallelujah, because the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air. Out of Egypt I called my son. So, there's many truths associated and various applications and they're all legitimate. And so, it's in that context, with that understanding, that Obadiah and the text in verse 17 is no different. It has various applications and so I want, we considered one of those two weeks ago and I want to consider another with you this morning because uh, uh, really what we looked at last time was our inheritance in Christ but in this, instant, in this instance what I want to look at is, uh, uh, is Christ's inheritance now in the saints. And when you see how it applies and both are valid applications as there are others uh, to the text, this is what makes God's word so special. This is what makes God's word so relevant. This is what makes God's word so profound because there we see how wonderful the word of God is and how great our God is. Hallelujah. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, the Bible says that... that that we may know the hope of his calling and it also talks about Christ's inheritance in the saints, his inheritance in the saints because God has an inheritance, amen. We have an inheritance, it tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 but in verse 18 it tells us that Christ has an inheritance and so that inheritance is uh, is identified and, and this is one portion of text in Obadiah in which we can see it being uh, uh, referred to, and it's a shadow of that which was going to come in Christ Jesus. And so when we talk about possessing our possessions, or the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, we're going to see how Christ will possess his possessions in this context. So we want to look at it in the context of Christ. But remember. As we look at this, I want you to keep in the broader perspective of your mind we're talking about world evangelism. We're talking about the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about going into all the world and preaching the gospel because that's one of the applications of this particular text. So, let's read it in verse 17, Obadiah chapter 1. The Bible says, But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now, just in that scripture alone, in the same way we just looked at Hosea 11, there is a number of applications that shed forth from this particular text. I can think of four valid interpretations that apply to this particular portion of text. And one of those was clearly taught and was referred to again this morning and I heard it when I was uh, with Bill Randalls last week because Bill Randalls had written that book and he was actually there in Frankston and he was talking about Ezekiel 35 and Mount Seah and he was putting it into context but then he was referring to the fact that this refers to the nation and people of Edom And then he was making its application and how from a a nationalistic perspective uh, how the Edomites are obviously an arch enemy of Israel and they are constantly uh, uh, wanting to destroy the Jews uh, and the children of Israel and so how one day we understand that in the process and according to the purpose of God and the processes of God Israel will inherit the land. And as, as Hosea says, because that is the context of Obadiah in the first instance, uh, he says uh, that the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. And that's talking about the land because let's face it, has Israel ever possessed all of the land? No. But yet he was given to them. God said that here is the land, yet they never possessed it all. And even till today, they—I uh, mean, we know that they, they were out of the land for nearly 2,000 years and yet now they're back in it but there's still, uh, everyone's trying to carve it up, everyone's trying to get a piece of it and all the rest of it but God says that there is coming a day and it's related to the second coming of Christ when Jesus returns and there shall be deliverance on Mount Zion and the house of, there shall be holiness because Christ will be here hallelujah and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions because God said it is theirs and it has always been theirs since the day that God gave it to them and God will bring them into the full possession of their possessions and so there you have it there's the first expression but you see there's another application and I just want to touch it again just briefly but I looked at this two weeks ago and I made an emphasis because remember when I spoke about this two weeks ago I was talking about the the theme of the fullness of Christ. That's why I touched upon that thread if you want to call it of why I ministered and we spoke about Mount Zion and we made the New Testament counterpart in Hebrews and we showed how we are at Mount Zion and we and deliverance that is in Christ Jesus uh, and so forth and we made a spiritual application of possessing our possessions uh, in Christ Jesus. Yes, now, now let me ask this, H- do we have an inheritance? Ephesians one three says, absolutely, but have we possessed all of our inheritance? I, I, I say, from my experience and observations and knowledge of scripture and of people's lives, uh, that is not always the case. They don't always possess what is theirs. And let me say this, we still haven't yet possessed all that God has given us as a part of our inheritance, have we? Until we get out of this body and we're out of this world, amen, we're not going to enter into the full possession of all that is ours in Christ. But it's there, it's kept for us, hallelujah, reserved in heaven. And we will one day, like Israel, enter into a fullness of possessing our possessions. But then there's a third aspect. I'm not going to touch upon this, but I just want to highlight because actually I may even go into this, if God willing, uh, further. But there's another typological uh, application that relates to flesh and spirit flesh and spirit and this has to do with uh, Edom and Israel and when you consider the, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau and then you consider the, the people of Israel and the people of Edom, you begin to realise that there's a greater application as well in which the, uh, the Bible talks about uh, the flesh and the spirit and so too there's much that's contained within verse 17 that has an application To that in which we are to walk in the spirit which again kind of moves upon what i was talking about in the context of possessing our possessions but there's a a depth to it and and a revelation to it that as i even began to look through some things even the course of this week it's quite profound the lessons that we can learn from it but again i'm not going to to discuss it but other than to state that there is another application that relates to that and then there's the fourth application and that's what we're going to focus on this morning and that is christ because clearly in verse 17 we as we consider what is god is saying we can understand that that uh, that the prophet is also and the scripture is also clearly pointing to and referring to jesus christ himself in verse 17 it says but on mount zion there shall be deliverance you see that's talking about israel in the future sense but you see jesus has already come hallelujah and so, when we talk about the day of the Lord, we're talking about Christ in his first coming, uh, in his redemption, a- amen, and the salvation that he wrought for us in Calvary. And so, upon Mount, Di- uh, Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. There, we can escape to Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, salvation has been purchased, redemption has been wrought and when we are reconciled to God, hallelujah, we, as our brother James spoke of, we are fleeing from the wrath to come. We take refuge in Christ Jesus. We are saved from wrath through him and so we talk about the deliverance we talk about escaping to Christ because he amen has come and he has purchased our salvation but you see when it says upon mount zion there shall be deliverance and and, and there shall be holiness there's a couple of things that we can, that it points towards and that is that it refers in a sense to the entity of the church we talk about it individually as I just did, but it relates to more specifically the the church, that God or the body of Christ, if you want to call it, or the bride and the various uh, uh, phrases that we find in the scriptures. But nevertheless, this is represented. It's the entity of the church that is being formed, this body that is going to come about that will incorporate the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. See that's what Ephesians is talking about in chapter 3 if you take the time to read it Paul is is expounding upon the mystery of the church and that God had foreordained before the ages. And you see, see, God had always had it in mind. It was a mystery. It was un- not understood. It was even contained in, in the seed of our text, but it was never fully comprehended until uh, Christ came and then we have the birthing of the church at Pentecost and then we have Paul who's being used as a vessel of God to communicate and tell us and reveal to us these wonderful, wonderful truths. And so, Ephesians 3 talks about the mystery being revealed. It talks about the eternal purpose of God. It talks about the unsearchable riches as it relates to the Gentile church. But you see, it's not just the Gentile church, hallelujah, because when Jesus spoke to the woman of the, at the well, Jesus said to her, salvation is of the Jews. And we understand that, so we, we find here a context that applies uh, to the Gentile church being grafted in but also primarily it refers to the Jewish nation itself. See, the new covenant was made with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. Jeremiah 31, 31 tells us clearly this is where the covenant was cut, with the house of Israel. And the, the Gospel, as it tells us in the, the book of Romans, and we're doing this in our study at the moment, where the Gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek and, th- and therefore it's reflecting the Gentile world. And so, we this is important because when we're talking about possessing possessions and we're talking about deliverance from Mount Zion and we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the church and we're talking about the Gentiles being grafted in, uh, amen, well, the Jews, uh, for those that uh, have received the gospel, for those that have been born again, amen, we have all been put into one body. God has taken away the enmity and he's created one new body, the church. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Thank God, hallelujah, that we have been grafted in. Thank God that we are part of such a wonderful plan of God. And so, Obadiah says "But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. And we are, we are part of that. We have become partakers of the divine nature. Hallelujah. We are in Christ Jesus. And it says in verse 17, and there shall be holiness. There shall be holiness. You see, if Zion speaks of the redemption of Jesus Christ through Calvary, then holiness simply speaks of Him Himself. Hallelujah because Jesus Christ is the Holy One. Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 1 verse 4, says, declared to be the Son of God with power through the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so, we're dealing now with Christ and holiness. There shall be holiness. Why is there holiness? Because Christ came. Amen, and he, and we are at Mount Zion. We are in Christ Jesus, Hallelujah. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And when you consider those aspects, we can see it's how it ties in and back to verse seventeen. Here, you see, knowing that Obadiah is writing, and he through through God is pronouncing judgment upon the nation of Edom and the people of Edom. And so what's interesting is is when you uh, just consider it in that context as well, you begin to see that um, the the word Edom in scripture, the people Edom, the nation Edom represents, uh, spiritually speaking, it represents pride or, or sin. And this is the principal sin of all humanity against the holy God. And, uh, you know, when, and as I said, Edom represents the flesh, the sin nature, the very thing that is offensive to God is, uh, is, is encapsulated in the people or the nation of Edom. And so, God is pronouncing a judgment and an ultimate judgment on Edom and, uh, and obviously in doing so, he's pronouncing a, a judgment on sin and pride. And so when we consider the issue of sin, we see again as we consider Christ uh, and the church, but we see Christ the Holy One bringing de- deliverance on Mount Zion through his redemption and we see God bringing a judgement upon sin. Christ brings a judgment upon sin through his death and ultimately his resurrection, the spirit of holiness, hallelujah, through the resurrection of the dead as God or Jesus lays down his life in Calvary and then rises again from the dead through the spirit of holiness and therefore he purchases our, our salvation. You see, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so we have a wonderful picture of redemption on God's judgment upon sin through Christ, being revealed to us in verse 17. But we can go a little further in this because it's interesting to note this. As I was studying it out, it says, "Who uh, think about Herod? We know who Herod was, right? There's a number of them, but we know who Herod was. He was the one during the time of Jesus uh, who killed the baby, uh, the baby boys and." He's the one that uh, killed, had killed ultimately and allowed for the killing, ordered the killing of John the Baptist and, and obviously uh, responsibility for the crucifixion of Jesus. But you know, Herod was an Edomite. He was an Edomite. That was, his, that was the root of his descendancy. And so here you have Jesus and Herod face to face. God... It's face to face. What you have is representative of two brothers, Edom and uh, and, and, Esau and Jacob, face to face. What you have is a representation of sin and holiness, face to face. And here you have God dealing a judgment because here he is before Herod and the Bible says that he answers Herod, not a word but he knew he was about to go to the cross and there he was going to uh, a triumph, amen, uh, over sin and death. And so, again, these, these just these little pictures, but they're interesting to note uh, and they're interesting for us to consider and uh, they, what, they paint a wonderful picture of redemption and the victory that Jesus wrought through Calvary, hallelujah, and through the cross. And so, when we, when we consider verse 17, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now, if, if Jesus is being a type of Jacob in this instance and the, the reference is to possess their possessions, then what is the possession? The possession, hallelujah, is you and I. The possession is the church of Jesus Christ that we have referred to. So, when it says the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, what is in view here is the church. What is in view is the salvation of you and me individually. And so, we are the possession of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we are his inheritance. He purchased our salvation and on the day that we were born again, we were sealed with the Spirit and we became God's possession. We are his uh, inheritance. Hallelujah. And so, we're talking about the souls of men. We're talking about uh, uh, we are his treasure, we are his possession. And uh, when you look at Matthew 13 and you see Jesus give a list of parables and he talks about the, the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure and so many people turn it around and make it, you know, that the kingdom of heaven is like this. Is is. If you look at it, the, the, the pearl of great price, the hidden treasure is, a, is, is the Jew and the Gentile, it's the church, Israel and the church becoming one, in Christ through his death and then him uh, having presented to him a, a people, amen, and then the da- and when these times are fulfilled, uh, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, the possession of God and we will be presented to him, hallelujah. You see, what a glorious thing to consider. You see, Jesus uh, is is still possessing his possession. Jesus is, there are people still being saved until the day arrives and when Jesus Christ returns and once that door shuts and the age of grace is finished and the judgment of God is forthcoming, then we are, amen, we are the bride of Christ. We are his possession. I am his and he is mine. And it's in that context that, there are people that, 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 that he, Jesus, is still receiving and still possessing his possessions which relates to the souls of men. You see, when we preach the good news of the gospel, when we preach Christ and him crucified, when we preach the gospel in its simplicity and call men to repentance and to be saved, this is exactly what we do. That's why the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's another possession. Hallelujah. You see, this is what the book of Acts is all about. And they Pentecost. Spirit of God comes. Jesus says, I'll build my church. And on that day, Peter preaches and 3,000 souls were added. Paul, we read about the book of Acts and we see the various missionary journeys. And Paul goes... Um, Uh, And uh, God says to him, I think it's uh, in relation to Rome, could be wrong, but he says, I have many people in this city. And uh, then uh, uh, we, we find various scriptures where the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, I will build my church. Acts says, the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. The church was multiplying, the church was growing, hallelujah. Jesus was receiving and possessing, in a sense, his possessions. You see, and so this is the continuation of that and that still applies even unto this day. We're talking about the Great Commission and it was interesting that on Friday night we were at our prayer meeting and James was uh, sharing with us a short word and uh, he said, uh, he was talking about men of God who shared a similar passion and it was a passion for souls where they said, Lord, give us souls lest I die. Where, they're, where they're, they're in their desperation, in their passion and in their desire to see people saved and one to the kingdom of God, they were so sold out to the very plan and purpose of God, that they said, Lord, I'd rather that you take me away if I can't be fruitful and bear, and bear fruit for the glory of God. Make me, give me souls lest I die, lest life is not worth living. Because they realised it was all about, they understood God's heart, they understood God's plan, they understood God's purpose. And really, That's what we have to understand as well because we have a part to play in that process. Because God, we are, the Bible tells us in in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What a profound scripture! that when I cry, when I'm witnessing, when I'm appealing, when I'm sharing, it is God working through me to win that soul, to draw that soul. And this is the, the work that we must be engaged in. This is what makes a church, church healthy. If we focus too much on the inward, we'll start eating ourselves alive, Amen. <laughs> We have to focus on the outward and get back to the basics, get back to the simplicity, get back to, to, to evangelism, get back to church planning, get back to going into various nations and preaching the gospel out on the streets wherever and whoever. But I tell you, that's what will refresh your heart. That's what will put a spring in your step, amen, when despite all the circumstances of life, we are engaged in the work of the Lord. you see it's about seeing souls saved you know but, i prayed this on, on friday night because it came to my mind as i was praying in light of what james has shared but you know various movements and peoples over the years god has worked mightily in and through to accomplish his purposes you know salvation army was an army and it went out and it just uh, preached the gospel and went into all the world okay and that's not what it was now when we look at it now with you know salvos and whatever that means but it was once the salvation army and it was uh, totally fixed on that purpose you know um, the moravian movement you might be aware and there was that they they had a catchphrase or a, a phrase sorry but they came forth from two men i believe who who were going to go to an island that they knew once they had gone there they would never ever return and as they boarded the ship and as they were waving goodbye to the tears of the people and they said let the Lord's will be done as they went forth they cried out and it became the slogan if you want to call it of the movement may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering possessing his possession." possessing the souls of men. Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I may win them all. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. We have a huge responsibility. We have a huge obligation. We are indebted to God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, in whatever whether it's on your family uh, workplace uh, whether uh, we get out on the streets uh, and proclaim the gospel you know i I know what it's like in melbourne i went to fiji you talk to people you can just talk for hours you can go witnessing every day go to uh, go to the streets of melbourne and i tell you what i can i know why sometimes you want to feel a little bit discouraged but you know what we just got to get out on the streets and we've got to faithfully proclaim the gospel. And if they don't want to listen to us, then we just get up with the big speaker and we'll tell them. For one, they're going to hear it. That's what it says. Salvation has gone out to the Gentiles in Acts and they will hear it. We can't control what happens with it, but men, they're going to hear it and it's up to us to make sure they hear it. We can't convert people. We know that. Jesus can only do that. Unless God draws them, we can't draw them. Unless God moves upon them, we can't. We, we just have to preach the gospel. But you see, it doesn't matter, church, the gospel works. There is an inherent power in the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is the power of God. The cross is the power of God under salvation. You see, we can preach. That's why Paul says, I came and I preached Christ and Him crucified. I didn't want to come to you in wisdom of words. Sometimes we want to try and be so wise in our witnessing, but sometimes we can be so silly as a result of it because it comes to no effect anyway. Into, you know, it's, I, it's, I'm not against that. I'm saying we need, to be wise. we need to be wise about it. The wisdom of God's the cross, church. The wisdom of God is just the simplicity of preaching Christ and the cross and just declaring it as it is and let God do the rest because we sure can't. And so the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions and God has chosen to work through you and I to accomplish that purpose. What a privileged position that we have. That's why it's important that we are focused on it, that in the midst of our day-to-day and week-to-week and all the world and its distractions, that we are focused on this this purpose and this mission. I tell you... There's nothing more rewarding than winning a soul for Jesus. That's why Sean's testifying and being part of the mission trip when he was happy just to go and have a holiday, but it had a transforming effect because when you're engaged in the Lord's work on that level, I tell you, it it, it will change the dynamics of your relationship with the Lord. It does something spiritually to you because there's something about it. Uh, and I'm not saying going on a mission trip, I'm just talking about engaging in evangelism, being a part of the work of God. And so, let's preach Christ. Let's be about the Lord's work. And as the saying goes, we can take the land. Have you ever seen that song before? We can take the land, we can take the land. God is All right, just me. Oh, gosh, all right. Praise the Lord, I'll leave it there and um, the Lord bless us this morning. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the day in which, God, we have come together as your people, Lord. I have sensed God, just a spirit of joy and rejoicing amongst your people and in your presence, Lord. We just thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, God. And, Lord, continue to work in us and through us, God, to fulfil your plan and your purpose. And I ask, God, that you would bless this assembly in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.